0: Today's episode is presented by Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. Find out what makes this the fastest-growing, most cost-effective recruiting management tool in college athletics, and get your free demo at ARIrecruiting.com. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, the president's choice for our country's next Surgeon General and America's college recruiting guru... Dan Tudor!
1: Coach, we've got a great one for you today. It is so good to be with you. This is Dan, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Keith Adams in this episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Dr. Adams was kind enough to come and speak at the 2019 National Collegiate recruiting conference that we held at Ohio State uh, in the summer of 2019, and his talk was fantastic. Uh, The work that he's doing is so interesting. It's from a coach's perspective that it's all geared towards studying student-athletes, a lot like we do, except it's so much more broad than, um, than just recruiting. And the topic that he talked about at the conference was what motivates A high school student athlete today and also your college student athletes because of course we all know this is a different generation and they have different motivations and that's what this study was all about and what i wanted to do after hearing this great talk at the national collegiate recruiting conference i wanted to have to have a follow-up conversation with him and uh, he agreed to do that, and the result is what you're about to hear today. Coach, it is so informative. It's going to give so many insights into what your athletes think, not only your current college athletes, but the recruits that you're talking to that I think you're going to find it really, really valuable. Um, it takes a while. Uh, as most of our podcasts do, it goes into to a lot of depth, and we take our time talking to our guests and uh, Dr. Adams no different. So we're going to get right to it with this conversation with Dr. Keith Adams on what makes a student athlete today motivated.
2: I thought coaches needed to know more about student athlete motivation because due to my career being a 25 year educator, I kept seeing student athletes not get a chance to utilize their full potential because of academic gaps and athletic gaps. So I decided to research two questions in terms of there is a, is there a gap between academic and athletic motivation? And if so, can we put some quantitative number to it? And what is motivating today's student athlete? Because there is a lack of understanding in terms of what's motivating today's student athlete.
1: Right. Well, and every parent would agree with you on that. I know. And uh, a lot of coaches would. So uh, define motivation because that could mean a lot of different things at a lot of different phases in the athlete coach relationship. So what were you trying to zero in on and, and what aspect of motivation are you most interested in really trying to define out for coaches? When I
2: discuss motivation, I am talking about the drive or the desire to act based on their level of interest in whatever form or topic or situation a person is in. I look at motivation through three lenses. Intrinsic, which is internal, uh, which is the best kind of motivation. You're doing it because you have some type of joy or you want to do it. Extrinsic, which is external, uh, meaning you were doing it because of some outside factor or a motivation which is just simply the absence of motivation
1: got it okay uh, and so give me give me an example of like something that a coach might uh, might not know now when it comes to motivation that this study has maybe better defined give me like a, a particular coach athlete interaction that, that, uh, that you remembered or, or saw uh, uh, explained in the study that, that would kind of pique a coach's interest?
2: The, the big takeaway is that coaches can have high expectations for their student athletes in terms of whether it's academic performance or athletic performance. The thing is, you have to do a great job of explaining the why it needs to be done a certain way, or the why you should produce a better effort or why this result can occur with extended amounts of effort. It's the why, Uh, but you can have high expectations and you can de-emphasize some of the extrinsic factors and you can still get a better result. Less is definitely more in the case of Finding what moves uh, a student athlete to act.
1: Okay, so so explain that to me, and I'm trying to think of as coaches are listening to this, and I'm trying to anticipate what their questions are. Uh, so when you say that, uh, give give me give, give me an example, or give me for, just dive into that a little bit further what you just talked about.
2: Not a problem. Uh, just recently, Nick Saban. Uh, Head football coach at the University of Alabama was all over the ESPN networks of shows and radio and television. And they had an all-time list of Alabama players. And one of the things he said, no matter what level he coached at, is that he looked for folks who wanted to compete. So, yes, Alabama has, air quote, a stacked team but he had a lot of guys on his roster that didn't matter who came in, they wanted to compete every day. Well, as a coach, no matter what sport, you have the ability to recruit competitors, people who crave competition and let that be your guide as opposed to uh, using a quick example, at LSU locker room situation. Uh, or some other schools uh, purchasing uh, motivational factors. Uh, uh, It doesn't mean you can't have nice things, but you also can recruit a competitive person who does not shy away from competition.
1: Right, so the interesting thing, what you just talked about, Dr. Adams, is that you have on one side, that, you know, that, that on, on the coach side, you need to look for competitors. You need to look for people that are just naturally driven and that's gonna drive success. Going back to a minute or two ago, when we started this conversation, you said one of the big takeaways for this generation is the need to be uh, kind of, I'll say to be led or kind of explaining what's in it for them. I'm, and I'm translating kind of what you said into maybe what they're hearing. And those two things seem to be like on the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know what I mean? So like, wh- how is, wh- how do you link it? How do you, how do you get the kid uh, that you're looking for? And yet most kids are needing to be led, and maybe aren't the natural, uh, inwardly driven, you know, competitor that you're describing.
2: Absolutely. So one of the things that coaches can do is provide time and truth for every student athlete they interact with. Time means I have to be there for them. I have to listen to them. I, I, I have to absorb their lives in terms of what's moving them to act. And truth is I actually have to tell them where they stand and how they can improve to get to a better standing. Because regardless of the sport, especially team sports, kids want time and touches. They want to play right. and they want to have an active role in the outcome of whatever contest. And if coaches can provide time, meaning being there for their student athletes and not just athletically, but socio emotionally and giving them truth, and telling them hey we need you to do this quantitative measurement to improve your chances of getting on the floor you can then develop better relationships to increase the result that you're looking for and that is both academically and athletically um coaches talk about measurements what are the measurables well academically you can say your measurable is well above the NCA minimum core requirement and stick to that. You can actually do that. That wouldn't hurt anyone. Uh, that's actually the division three model. Division three coaches have a great understanding of I have set academic standards and I can't move from them very often. Right. That can right. happen on all levels if they wanted
1: to. Right. Okay, so I I started diving in deep to all the intricate you know layers of what you found because I thought your talk at the uh, the 2019 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference was fascinating. I thought the coaches were engaged. I heard a lot of coaches afterwards talking about just how they were gonna they needed to approach motivation and everything differently. So I want to back up a second. I'm going to come back to the study that you did, but through this study, you as as a coach as an educator and now as a researcher, have probably defined or, be, or uh, come into a clearer view of what this generation is all about. So if I had to ask you the question, uh, Coach Adams, uh, w- now that you know what you know about their motivation, what drives them, what do they want, what are coaches giving them and not giving them, um give us like four or five things that you now as a coach would do differently with this generation to motivate them to get the most out of them or to find the best athletes in the first place based on all this research that you've done and the best practices that you've defined through this study what what would your how would you be different now as a a coach or how have you changed as a coach
2: that is an outstanding question and one that i think about often and There was actually something you did uh, at the conference that I uh, fortunately could not attend that piece. But you talked about what would I do if I was coaching now? Uh, And that was a great thing for me to think about. So the first thing I would do is I would diversify my staff. Um, No matter what sport I was coaching, I would have a wide variety of perspectives on my staff, including a co-ed staff. I would definitely okay. have a co-ed staff, so that's the first thing I would do. Uh, the second okay, thing so, I would so
1: just, oh, so, so, go ahead. So wait, uh, just just to be clear, um, I'm a football coach, or I'm a men's hockey coach. You would say you need a um, a female coach on the other, uh, as a part of the staff to balance things out. So, okay, why? Make the case
2: the the reason why is it's an underserved underutilized thing it it should not be an exception it should actually be the rule it's about hiring the best people to deal with the personnel that you have I talked in my presentation about the acronym KYP and that's knowing your personnel and I am a fan of the buffet model in terms of, I would like to have a little bit of everything on my staff to better help my employees or my players relate to members of my staff. They're not always gonna go to the head coach. So if you have a diverse staff, meaning co-ed plus younger coaches, uh, almost seasoned coaches and seasoned coaches, you have a wide variety of thoughts and opinions and then you avoid a uh, groupthink. so by having right. that wide variety of thoughts and ideas on your daily staff every day that's just going to enhance your program to grow
1: got it and, and you're seeing that now in the nba you're seeing that even in the nfl where they're they're starting to you know you're starting to have uh women's coaches come in and certainly on Women's college basketball staffs, or volleyball, and some other sports across the spectrum. You have, you know, men assistants, uh, male head coaches, and so there is that mix on the women's side. It's a little bit slower sometimes to uh, to be integrated like that on the on the men's side uh, in coaching. And and I guess just a, as a quick follow up question, uh, what what would your recommendations be? You mentioned diversity from a gender standpoint. What how else could diversity look? Um, when it comes to, uh, uh, I mean, obviously you have gender, you have race, but what what are some other gen, uh, d- diversity elements that you could make sure are present in your in your coach in your coaching staff makeup?
2: Uh, for me, I like degrees, uh, and part of my research, I looked at the enterprise model, and when I mean enterprise, I mean the uh, car rental company. One of the things okay. Enterprise does is they hire college graduates. They really don't right. care what you de- your their degree is in. It just shows that you are able to start a task and end a task, and then we can coach you up in terms of Enterprise. And most of their promotions come from within, meaning most of their managers and so forth started off on the first rung of Enterprise, But the commonality was they had a four year degree, and that was the benchmark that enterprise uses to hire their employees. They have a very high rate of of hiring uh, a lot of student athletes because they are used to teamwork. They're used to all types of different things that the business world needs in terms of skills, both hard and soft skills. I would definitely look at resumes and see what people bring to the table. And that's the the starting point I like to look at. I like to look at uh, diverse backgrounds, different skills. Uh, Do you know a foreign language? Uh, Because I am not fluent in a foreign language. Uh, So I want to be able to tap as much as I can from the different uh, skills of, of my staff.
1: Right. Right. Excellent. Okay. So, point number one: uh, diversify your staff. And sorry to, to interrupt you, and I just wanted you to dive in a little bit because I thought that was an interesting first thing to talk about. Of all the changes that you would make, you would start at the staff level first. So that's excellent. So go ahead and, and continue with the, with the list. Well,
2: the second thing I would do is invest in socio-emotional support. Uh, so you have your coaching staff, yes. And that should be diverse. But I would definitely have a member or two of my staff that really focuses on the socio-emotional health of our team. Um, And that could be as simple as uh, providing additional academic support where the person just listens uh, to the student athlete and provides advice on how to cope with time management, organizational skills. Uh, advocating for oneself. These are the types of skills that uh, my study has really encouraged me to delve more into in terms of supporting the individual. And that's how we're gonna get the most out of the player is by totally understanding their emotional factors and their motivational factors. So if we invest in the individual, as opposed to the video locker or the lazy river, I think right. investing in people, <laughs> right.
1: you, you'll right. get
2: a, a better product. You'll get a better team. What,
1: yeah, what's interesting is we did a podcast interview a couple of episodes back. And if, you're been, if you subscribe to the podcast, you can certainly go back and listen to the interview that we did uh, with Dr. Amber Selking. And she is basically an emotional and mental health coach for the University of, uh, of Notre Dame uh, football team, and her job is to make sure the players during practice and especially in the games are, you know, in the right mental place that they're communicating. And as you were talking, I remember one of the things that she brought out in in all of her work with Notre Dame was the 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 fact that some players feel more comfortable coming to her, talking about their feelings, talking about their um. You know, frustrations or nervousness versus their position coach because she knows or they know that she's not going to judge them or bench them or question whether or not they're ready to go play the game. And they can they have that outlet exactly what you were talking about. So I think that's interesting that you're giving an example that's already being done at a very high level with with college athletics. So so now let me move from that to the D3 school where it's the head coach and a walk on assistant coach. And he or she just heard you talk about that and loves the idea, uh, would love to have a Dr. Selking on their staff, but of course they just can't afford it. So how would a program account for that need that you've identified on on a staff that has no budget, can't even hire a full time assistant? Uh, what what would what would a suggested answer be if you, if you have any thoughts?
2: Yes, as a former Division three coach at Uh, That's why I asked, because you're, (laughs) yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Frederick, Maryland,
2: (laughs) (laughs) go Blazers. Um, My head coach, Tom Dickman, uh, one of the reasons why he hired me is because, uh, one, you come cheap, because the school system uh, paid most of my bills, and uh, Hood uh, helped me a little bit with uh, academics, but... Uh, I would definitely look at the education department in terms of your school and see if there's uh, a student who is very interested in that. Uh, I would look uh, for volunteer coaches in terms of uh, current high school, either uh, head coaches or assistants right. who are looking to get into college so you can provide the avenue to get into college or and even, they can provide you yeah. the, uh, you know, years of skills the expertise. that they right. have. Uh, It's a lot of what are your goals and then how's the best way you can go about to reach them and then go do it. You will find a way to get the best player. So find a way to get the best staff and then let your staff be really good at what they do. Uh, I would also, again, reach out uh, to the admin department. and and tap whatever resources, but starting with your own school's education department or whatever majors deal with it, psychology majors, uh, and also reaching out to the local schools to see who may be interested in moving up a level and what skills do you bring and how can we make a mutually beneficial situation together? And and that's following a lot of what we did at Hood College Uh, and we have pretty successful staff in terms of diversity and that goes to the buffet that I was mentioning
1: earlier Right, and, and I'm, I'm thinking too just as you were talking about those different creative ideas which are, they are great you also have if you're a college coach access to professors deans departments on campus that may love the idea of contributing to the athletic success you have professors who are basketball fans professors who are lacrosse fans and would love to play a role in helping the team and being a part of that. So um, that's another resource. I'm assuming that that coaches could use. Those are that's a that's a great uh, a great idea.
2: 100% um, agree. Okay.
1: Yeah. So so other other recommendations uh, or other other things that you would be doing differently as a coach, given this information and the research now that you've uh, that you uh, dove, dove dove into.
2: Yeah, I would definitely. Uh emphasize second-year student-athlete support systems. Uh, We often, when first-year students come in, we have all types of mandatory resources for the first-year student. The second year, it tends to become optional. Well, I would definitely reverse that and make the first two years mandatory. And by doing that, it is the equivalent of getting an AA an associate's degree, because now you have between 60 to 75 credits because we've monitored it, and now you're closer to graduation. Plus one of the things that I think emphasizing um, the second year student, you minimize the sophomore slump that occurs the second year in terms of increased academic and increased athletic expectations. So by focusing, on mandatory supports for the second year student athlete you create an environment that this is important and we are not only measuring it but we are monitoring it and i think if that was done you'd actually have fewer transfers because the needs both academically and athletically are being purposefully met and i think that is one direction that i would definitely go in in terms of supporting a second-year student athlete to help increase graduation rates
1: right Or and just just uh re- reducing attrition rates and i thought that when you you talked about that at the conference and that was one of the things i came back with probably one of four or five big ideas that uh, that i took away from different speakers and yours was one of them and you know it's such a simple idea why aren't we doing the same thing for the sophomores as the freshmen because when do the transfers many times they happen during that sophomore year I got through my freshman year I'm back do I really want to be here and now I don't have the support or I don't feel like there's the intensity of of that support and so they leave um, and I, I thought it was brilliant and the great thing for a college is that the infrastructure is really already there you already have the program set up for the freshmen just extend that out now to, uh, to the sophomores. And I think you, you definitely support the athletes. And then you also have the, um, uh, you know, the the thing that's put in place to make them feel like they can now they're, they're halfway done. So I'm not going to leave now. If I'm halfway done, I'm going to, I'm going to see it on through, um, anything else on that list coach that you would do differently or in a, um, just in a different way now given the study that you've been involved with
0: we'll be back to the show in just a minute but first a quick question what makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter well it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with that's the mission of advanced recruiting intelligence RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? It costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIrecruiting.com. And now, back to the show.
2: Yeah, one additional idea uh, that I would definitely implement is being mindful of the time spent on the actual sport. Uh, By the time student athletes get to college, they have spent an inordinate amount of time doing the sport, and it is the sport that drew you together. So good, good players, you don't have to Make them work because they're going to naturally want to put the time in. My research talks about if you're a Division III student athlete, you are spending 30 hours a week working on your craft no matter what sport. If you're a Division II student athlete, you're spending 35 hours a week honing your craft in terms of just your sport. And a Division I athlete is spending 40 hours a week honing their craft. So I would definitely maximize practice time and I would ease back on outside uh, responsibilities because the kids are already working on those things so it's about sharpening the knife uh, and I think that will lead to fewer injuries as well because there's a lot of overuse injuries that occur especially uh, in sports like football and basketball because It has moved towards so much year round that those kids have a lot of miles on their legs. uh, And a lot of different injuries occur now that really didn't occur in mass numbers uh, just 10, 15, 20 years ago, such as stress fractures. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with overuse. So I would really be mindful about how I do practice and, and make sure it's about sharpness because I'm never gonna have to tell a good player to not work on their sport because that's what they're going to do anyway and and that's how i will have to recruit i have to recruit players that i don't have to convince to work um so again it goes back to doing doing your homework as a as a recruiter and having a plan of who you'd like to uh, bring in
1: okay so back up to the big picture again um you you've done a lot of study and you continue this work and we'll get uh information out to coaches on how they can be a part of it and how they can contribute to it and access it because i think it's it's brilliant work and it's needed and um, i just find it all fascinating so i'm jumping around because i have about 30 different questions on my list for you that i didn't get to ask at the conference that i know i'm not going to get all the time i need uh on our conversation here um, but one of the things that I was going to ask you, just based on, you know, when you do this type of research, you get a very intimate view of the people that you're researching, in this case, student-athletes. I was going to ask you, strictly your opinion again, where does this generation of student-athlete get a bad rap from coaches? Because they sort of have been stigmatized uh, stigmatized about, you know, their attitude or, um, you know, they don't work as hard as we did back in the day or you know, whatever we're saying. I'm just wondering, where where do you think they get a bad rap where it's not deserved, but it sort of has become a maybe a, one of the unfairly defined things about athletes in this generation that, that coaches are coaching?
2: Dan, I have been in a classroom for an average of 180 to 200 days a year for the last <laughs> 25 years. And yeah. what I can say is kids do whatever you allow them to do so they have not changed adults have their methods of communication have changed but they're still communicating so where my generation would write a girl a note and leave it or or ask for a check box they text it's still communication and we're still hushing people at a meeting um it's all in what you value yeah. and what's what's measured and monitored gets done so for example uh, when i coached at hood college uh, we really worked to have wi-fi on the buses uh, one okay. we have long bus trips two right most of them have electronic devices ipods ipads laptops so by removing that barrier not only could they communicate with the outside world which is fine too they can actually get their work done so right. i don't want to hear that we were away at a game when we had a three-hour bus ride you can actually do your work so if adults would embrace um The changes in terms of communication because that's what we're talking about we're talking about how they communicate that's the big barrier i think they could you know have a better understanding of this generation uh another piece is they're so much more informed than the previous generation and that's scary um right where the previous generation if somebody told you something it is true because you're not going to look it up this generation will call you on whatever you said and say wait a second i looked that up and well on the flip side with that plethora of information a lot of misinformation gets involved as well so you spend time undoing information so if coaches are clear measured and concise with their expectations and then stick to it you'll have a higher rate of result than if right. you try to lie. And I we, we talked earlier about time and truth. Can't lie to this generation because they'll remember. And you'll become right. a meme and and recruits talk as the NBA <laughs> has found out. Uh, so you yeah, just have to yeah. embrace that. That's all.
1: No, it's interesting. It's interesting as this generation leaves college and at higher levels, you know, will go to the NFL, NBA, uh, and, and whatever their sport is, you're seeing some of the same actions uh, in other words, they aren't changing much. It's just their mode that they will, they'll, you know, sell each other on a coach or a place. They'll give an opinion. They're not afraid to, to just voice publicly that they don't like this or they like that. Or uh, whereas, again, you or I, uh, uh, men of our age, we would probably say, yeah, we're just gonna, we, we're not gonna make a big deal of it. We'll just, you know, we're just gonna hold it privately. And they don't. And that has impact certainly on recruiting, but also the way that uh, the way that you coach. So let me. So I asked you about your observations about you know where unfairly uh, these these kids are defined. I, I want to ask sort of the same type of question about coaches, in that where where is it that you find uh, coaches even once they know this information, where do they still have trouble adjusting or changing their approach? In other words, what are coaches hanging on to? from a methodology standpoint or personality standpoint that they probably shouldn't in order to be a better match for this generation, but just have a hard time giving up because dang it, that's who I am as a, as a coach. What would you say?
2: I think coaches try to do too much and they try to control too much. And that is problematic, especially, uh, in this generation. Uh, A personal example that I'll give. Uh, I was asked by an athletic mentor of mine to coach soccer uh, because they needed a soccer coach. My response was, I don't know soccer, I've never played soccer, why me? And they said, because you'll learn enough and more importantly, it will stretch you and make you grow. And one of the things that coaching soccer helped me in my sport of trade, which was basketball was, i let go and let them it forced me to trust if you've ever coached soccer you have to trust that whatever is being said on the field is what's happening and you have to defer flip that to basketball one of the sayings is a point guard is a reflection of the coach well again that goes to trusting and if you try to micromanage everything you're going to have trouble so sometimes you have to turn your head and allow a mistake to happen and ask, ask, not tell, what did you see? So I can understand from your perspective what you thought was the right play and then go ahead and make those corrections. Well, a previous generation would just sub you out and now you're sitting there pouting on the bench and nothing ever gets done and you hold on (laughs) to that anger to the next practice and then that anger permeates your locker room and so forth and so on. But again, going back to time and truth, you'll have a better idea of how to deal with those situations that will come up, not might come up, will come up. And another quick one is I was at an educational conference and a Google exec was there. And the Google exec said, hold up your cell phones. So all the adults in the room held up their cell phones. And the guy said, this is some great technology, right? Oh yeah, beats the flip phone that I had, blah, blah, blah. And he said, to your students, this is trash. And this is the worst technology they'll ever see. So for you, it's the best you've ever seen. And for them, it's the worst. So now that you know that there's more of them than you, you can better now address their needs. So it's a case of understanding, you know, a various perspective, a different lens. And that goes back to the buffet that we talk about. You got to know a little bit of everything so you can get through uh, and function.
1: Right. Right, um. So one of the things that that you talked about was the idea that uh, that these kids are, are have opinions and they're willing to share them. What is the thing that you would advise coaches to do to manage that or to to do a better job of making sure they're saying the right things? Um. And I don't know what that is, but I think there's there's a lot that that is there that that a coach would want to try to define uh
2: one thing is coaches need more professional development um as we travel across the country in our various situations and things we do how often do you see especially on the lower levels somebody on a coaching staff that challenges the head coach in terms of Mm. mindset thoughts ideas um and allowing the players to see man you know coach johnson really challenges the head coach but coach johnson listens and goes back and forth with the head coach same thing with your captains and your players you want to empower the players but if you do question i hope you did your homework too because as a head coach it's my job to do my homework more than everyone else so i think that is something Uh, That should definitely be looked at in terms of what is your growth, what is your professional development plan, and is your staff conducive enough, is your team conducive enough to challenge everyone in the organization to be at their very best every day.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's good. What are the things that we haven't touched on in the survey or in the study that you've done that that we should talk about. So some of the other main points that, that God brought out that sort of stand out to you is important for coaches to know.
2: One thing I would really like more of a conversation about is the role high schools play in terms of preparing our student athletes for college. The NCAA has raised their core GPA requirements to a 2.3 for Division I and a 2.2 uh, for Division two, and your core subjects are math, science, social studies, English, and world languages. Well, most high schools still have an outdated 2.0 cumulative GPA. So when right. students get to college, and the majority of students, regardless of if they play a sport or not, 60% of them, based on my research, will take a remedial class. So they're really coming at a gap And the study that I did was talking about finding a balance between academic and athletic motivation. And sometimes high schools and high school associations are co-conspirators to the crime of lower than expected graduation rates. Because the first time the student athlete is held to a high consistent academic standard is when they're in college. And there's so much going on that they often do get lost in the shuffle. So that's one piece that I would really like to expand on the conversation of, can we create a tiered system of eligibility in terms of, yes, let's allow more and more students to participate, but let's tier it up and say for a full participation, you need a 2-3. For partial participation, similar to the old NCAA model, while freshmen not playing, you need a 2-0, and to be able to just practice, you need like a one eight five. So you can, you know, tie in something to the academic piece that says we all want time and we all want touches, but if you don't hit the academic benchmark, then something will be taken away. And if-then type relationship.
1: Right okay so a to-do list for a coach that's listening to this they want to make changes what are the first three things that they need to do to approach this generation differently if the goal is to motivate them to do more uh as an athlete on their team
2: Uh, the first thing they should do is focus on retention over recruiting you have to know your personnel and create an environment where people want to come not people want to leave Uh, The transfer situation is overblown and overrated. If we do a better job of taking care of home, then you're gonna have high retention rates or higher retention rates. And every sport has shown you, you win old, not young. So the first thing I would do is knowing my personnel and focus on retention over recruiting. The second thing I would do is develop my own, meaning my own programs common educational language, what's important to us, and then teach everybody in the organization our verbiage, our phraseology. Uh, For example, when I was at Hood, our ranking system was a one, two, or three. If somebody was rated a one, that means as soon as they got to campus, they were gonna be able to compete. If they were rated a two, that meant they needed a semester and by second semester, they'll be able to compete and, and help us out. And three means you just need this whole first year to adapt. That is your project. And that helped us recruit a high level of student athlete. And the proudest thing I ever am of anything that I've done, Dan, is 90% of the college student athletes I work with have a college degree. So I kind of think this way Fantastic. can benefit a lot of people. And a lot of those students were students of color. So that. That really is an important piece of the initial why we did this research uh, in the first place.
1: Okay, and one or two other things that you would advise a coach who wants to get this off the ground and, and focus on motivating their student athletes.
2: Absolutely. Uh, do a better job of reviewing the transcript and asking better questions of recruits prior to them getting even into the recruiting process with you. Uh, one of the things that coaches can improve on is asking better questions Uh, not only asking better questions of the recruits but asking better questions of the stakeholders involved with the recruits we bring in our problems because we didn't do our homework Um, one example of that is we get very enthralled with potential over production and potential potentially get you fired and ready for the next coach to come in and get more production out of all of this potential (laughs) that you recruited so i would definitely ask better questions of both recruits and stakeholders and the last piece i would recommend for any coach is to work with your admissions department and be in full sync with what they believe is needed to be a good student athlete uh in terms of bringing in these student athletes to their schools i think coaches cash in too many favors and then they recruit role players as opposed to difference makers the majority of players that coaches are going to have on your roster are going to be role players no matter what the sport and that's why you make adjustments for a difference maker but coaches make too many adjustments for guys and gals that don't have an impact on winning or losing um and and that's problematic because if you treat it a certain way and then you get to the school and whatever you had said before didn't happen that's when the transfer situation really rears its head because you sold the bill of goods because you didn't give them the time and more importantly give them the truth in terms of what would happen once all the pomp and circumstances of recruiting is over and you're now
1: living And coach, that wrapped up our conversation with Dr. Keith Adams, all about motivation and what motivates today's college student-athlete, as well as your prospects at the high school level. Great insights on this generation, and we really appreciate Dr. Adams, not only for The time to talk today but for coming into ohio state to our national collegiate recruiting conference this summer and presenting a great talk on the same topic so appreciative of his work and all that he uh, does uh, in this field of study hey one other thing coach i wanted to mention a lot of you have subscribed to our new honey badger recruiting daily email training and we are so glad that you have and the comments and the interaction that you're giving is incredible um, of course, if you're a client of Tutor Collegiate Strategies, you get those for free. But if not, Coach, I really want to encourage you to spend less than a dollar a day investing into your career as a college coach and, more importantly, as a college recruiter and signing up. You can go to dantutor.substack.com and uh, follow the uh, the links and subscribe, and you're going to get daily training Uh, set aside special for this group of subscribers uh, and it's really getting a great reaction and we're so excited uh, that uh, that we're able to do it for you and that it's making a difference and we want everybody involved uh, that wants to take this extra level of approach to their recruiting careers coach that's going to wrap it up for today's edition of the college recruiting weekly podcast i'm so glad that you joined us more to come soon and uh, keep at it keep subscribing keep listening and we thank you for telling your fellow coaches within your department to listen as well. We'll talk to you soon here on the next edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
0: The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.